Hello and welcome to another episode of Farmer's Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. And today we have a true agricultural innovator with us, Dibesho Serache, qualified industrial engineer and Dampopo food farmer. With a wealth of experience and a commitment to meeting market demands, he's here to share insights into their journey in agriculture and the strategies employed on their farm. Let's dive into the fascinating world of Mzanzi's deciduous food cultivation. Tibesho, thank you so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. We've known each other for a while. We featured you on Food for Mzanzi. You've joined a number of our discussions, the Food for Mzanzi Young Farmers in Daba. I feel like you're part of the family already. But for those that might not know you, you know, Tell us about your journey within agriculture. You've been recognized for your contribution to the sector and you've been in it for a while. Tell us more about you. Yeah, thank you, Don. Thank you very much for this opportunity to chat to you. Indeed, I feel like I'm part of the family. (laughs) Basically, before the farming project, I'm qualified as an industrial engineer and I've been involved in production activities in corporate before I started the farming business. And the farm belongs to my parents. We are farming on a tribal land and we started with Groundstone as a business that is trading in the deciduous fruit space in 2012. So before planting, obviously, we embarked on a research journey to determine whether or not the water and the climate and the soils are good for the type of fruit we wanted to plant. After that extensive research, we then decided we are going to go for low chill stone fruit varieties. And we decided to have a nice mix of those varieties. So we then planted three main cultivars. That is the yellowlings, and we've got the dessert peaches. We also have uh, nectarines. All those cultivars are early cultivars. They are low chill. That simply means that they are compatible for our environment up in the north, as opposed to down in the Western Cape, because our winters are not as high chill as is the case down in the Western Cape. So we had to do that research first before we select the cultivars. So fast forward from 2012 to date, we have planted just over 25,000 fruit trees, a split between a third of each cultivar, and these are planted in a 20-hectare land. We are located in Zabediela, that is in Limpopo province, 50 kilometers southwards of Polokwane town. Our farm is managed by myself and by my wife and my sister. My sister took over from my mother, who was a shareholder when we began the project, Due to age, she retired and then my sister took over her stake. We hire 15 laborers or 15 employees permanently during the picking season and the packing, as well as during planting. We then call about 30 more workers from the neighboring village. Absolutely amazing. Often farmers talk about that groundwork and research and initial research about before you even get started. That is vital for, for any farming operation. And I think you did a lot of homework. You went into this specific commodity. And so I would just like to say, well done on that. And also just to congratulate you for this entire time and all that you've done in the industry. Today, our discussion is specifically how to meet market demands when it comes to the deciduous fruit industry within the country. And so maybe we can just talk about, you know, how your farm kind of assesses or responds to the challenges of consumer preferences and kind of what you did over time, what steps have you taken to introduce new fruit varieties aligned more to these preferences? The consumer preferences in the fruit industry never stay the same. They change all the time. 
But for me, three main things that the consumer is always looking for, regardless of a cultivar that gets to be developed and even commercialized. And these three items are the color, size, as well as sugar content of the fruit. So we understood that when we started and that guided our selection of cultivars. So that has been the approach from our side. However, we also follow fresh produce market data. If you log on to Tawani Fresh Produce Market platform or even Johannesburg, Joburg Market platform, you are able to see the trends in terms of what gets to fly off the shelves quicker than what, you know. And the good thing is that not only do they tell you that it's just yellow pitch, they'll also to an extent just pitch, they'll go to an extent of specifying what type of pitch. Is it yellow, is it dessert, or is it even nectarine? So that has been guiding us to see whether or not over the years has there been a deadline or not. For instance, over the recent past, we've picked up that dessert pitches are not doing so well in the market. The consumers are preferring more the yellow link pitches and they are preferring a lot more nectarines. So that kind of information, we've been processing it over the past three or so years. And I think we are at a point where we are going to make a decision to start phasing out the dessert pitches and introduce more nectarines because that's what we are seeing as the case out there. Not only do we follow the fresh produce market data, we are also guided by the feedback that we receive from our retail customers. From time to time, we supply Woolies, obviously, fruition, who is our, the packers, we use their packers, and we're getting feedback from them on a weekly basis during season, how this product is doing in the market. So that is also another avenue that we sort of receive consumer information. But also, one of the things that is helping us is our association, our network with the industry knowledge body that is HotGrow. From time to time, they also publish trade and market data as part of their efforts to retain and grow the market, both locally and internationally. We get market data from them in terms of what is doing well out there and what is likely to completely be phased out. So that is how we are trying to stay ahead of the game. Thanks so much for that update and also just sharing how you've been going about making these assessments on your farm and responding to them. Now, when it comes to, you know, supply chain strategies, what do you kind of recommend or best practices? Perhaps you can share like three specific tips to ensure efficient delivery of the fruits to meet market demands while minimizing wastage. If you can just share advice to other farmers within the deciduous fruit industry. Number one, in no particular order, the first one I would say, the deciduous fruit is a very sensitive product to deal with. It's important to ensure that you've got cold chain operations from when you pick as quick as possible, you've got to chill the fruit and bring it to a temperature that it's able to enhance its shelf life. So cold chain, it's going to be very important. We pick, we sort and grade and pack and immediately uh, it's in the cold room and from then onwards. In transit, it's in the cold room. That is ensuring that the stock that you are picking and packing will arrive to the shelves of the retailer still in a very good condition. It also arrives to the consumer still in the cold condition. I mean, if you go to to the retailers and you look at where they put in their stone fruits, you will not find it being put outside the fridges. You know, yes, you will, but it's a small amount that they will put there for display. But the majority of the stock will be put in the cold room to be able to enhance the shelf life of the fruit. So cold chain is very important in the deciduous fruit space. The other thing is in terms of ensuring efficiencies downstream the farm from the farm gate, I recommend that uh, depending also on the size of the operation, that farmers should consider outsourcing the marketing activities of their fruit 
Because in most cases, you find that as a farmer, my competency lies in the production itself and not so much the downstream activities after the farm. So it is good to find a marketing company that is going to handle your fruit. And most of these marketing companies are so good at their work that you don't necessarily even have to transport the fruit. As long as you can pack it nicely and grade it nicely, they will pick up from the farm through cold chain activities all the way to where it's destined to. I am talking local market and even international market. So outsourcing to a competent marketing company, it's really not a waste. It saves the farmer the headache of having to keep up with the ever-changing nature of marketing activities and logistics activities. And it makes him focus on what they do best, which is production. And obviously, the third thing is if the operation is small and you are not able to afford a marketing company, you can do it yourself. Like it is our case when it comes to the fresh produce market. We deliver the stock ourselves. We ensure to keep in touch with the market to understand what they're feeling about our product and whether or not there's any improvements that we need to do from the type of packing that we do, the sizing, as well as probably the packaging material that you are using. So that is essentially that. So I think the cold chain outsourcing for a big company, medium to big, and then for a smaller company, you can do it yourself in terms of handling the, the fruit from the farm to the market. But the biggest thing is to ensure that you maintain the cold chain operations because if there's a break in the chain, it's surely going to affect the quality of your fruit. The pressures of your fruit will be affected. Unfortunately, that will be picked up in the market. And, you know, we know what that will do to your potential earnings. Definitely. Thank you so much for, for that update and very clear, you know, kind of breakdown of what can be done to ensure that you succeed in terms of supply chain strategies. Now, when it comes to striking a balance between cultivating traditional or well-established food varieties and then deciding to incorporate new innovative varieties to meet market demands, and maintain competitiveness, how do you do that? Have you done that? And what is the best way you would advise other farmers to go about it? As much as cultivars get to be developed all the time, it's a continuous process. At any given point, you've got a cultivar that is in testing or a cultivar that has been commercialized. So cultivars get to be developed all the time. Like I said, the three main things that the consumer is looking for is the color, the size, and the sugar. And for me as the farmer, what I'm looking for when a cultivar is developed is to see whether or not the yield of that cultivar is good because we are looking for more yield per tree all the time. When a cultivar is developed, we know that the cultivar developer will not drop the ball on the color, the size, and the sugar. The other thing that we look out for is whether or not the volumes are going to be impressive from that particular new cultivar. That's why it's important to observe its testing phase. I always recommend that when a cultivar is newly developed, do not rush into immediately filling up your orchards with that new cultivar. Test it out. Plant a few samples there and observe them for a few years, two to three years, and let them come into production so that you can verify some of these claims by the cultivar developer in terms of yield particularly. But there are cultivars that have been developed a long time ago that are still doing very, very well. And as a matter of fact, our yellow clean cultivar, it's called Samasan, has been developed by the Agriculture Research Council. It's an old variety, but it's still doing so well in both local markets and premium markets. The benefit of striking a balance between the traditional varieties that are well-established and the new is that with the new varieties, you are highly likely to be faced with royalty fees because the cultivar developer has got to recover you know, the cost that were incurred in the developing and the testing of the new cultivar. So for us, it worked out well because the other two cultivars that we have they are still under your royalty, and whereas the yellow thing, it's not. So the cost of producing 
the yellow thing from a royalty point of view, it's good for us. We are able to produce and make as much money out of it without having to service any royalty. So there's really nothing wrong with, with striking a balance and having both old and new varieties, especially the old varieties that are still doing well in the market. And, and the results of this will come out of the research. If one does the research first through ARC or even the private nurseries to est- establish what works well for our environment and what are those uh, varieties that are that are not under royalties anymore, the patents has fallen off, and so that they can create that balance. But yeah, of course, you've got other farmers that completely just go for new new varieties and they're big enough to be able to absorb the cost of the royalties from that point of view. Thank you so much for that insights and kind of explaining that to us as well. My last and final question would just be around in terms of on-farm production level. When considering these varieties, you explain specifically some aspects of it. But how does one kind of prioritize traits such as resistance to pests, diseases, or adverse weather conditions? And what you know impact does that have on overall crop resilience? John, while orchard sanitation is very important, what I mean about orchard sanitation is that it's always important to keep your orchard as sterile as possible. For instance, during picking, you will find that you've got fruits dropping from the trees to the ground. Maybe they've been affected by birds or for whatever reason, they drop from the trees to the ground. And we pick what we can pick, we pack and we finish picking. As part of sanitation practices, we then go around the orchard and clean up and pick up all the fallen fruit. As we do our pruning for summer or even winter, all the chipped wood, we move it out of the orchard so that we can keep the orchard sanitized. The intention of doing that is to try and reduce the amount of pests that could be in the orchard because some of them are as a result of the orchard not being kept clean. While that is important, the other important thing is ensure that when you order trees or plant material, that you order it from a nursery who is good when it comes to phytosanitary compliance, being able to isolate the cultivars that they are developing especially if some of the material is being imported from overseas. As it arrives, it has got to be isolated and observed for any potential pests or diseases. So those are phytosanitary compliance or practices that a lot of nurseries understand. For the industry body, hot grow, they utilize SAPOS, South African Plant Propagators Organization. They are there to ensure that all these phytosanitary practices are observed. They do it themselves and they also assist the nurseries about that to ensure that there's no movement of pests and diseases from one region to the other. The last thing is there are biological control methods that a farmer can put in place to ensure that you deal with pests without harming the environment. For an example, you can put in the pheromone buckets across your orchard to be able to trap all the male species of any particular pest that you're trying to eradicate. Obviously, the female species will be left with no opportunity to mate and reproduce. I saw the pheromones approach working a lot, the biological control method. And finally, obviously, there is the conventional method of spraying chemicals. Of course, the chemicals that you spray has got to be registered for the particular crop. You cannot just spray any spray for any crop. It has got to be applied according to the recommendation by the manufacturer. And that is consistent with the requirements of global gap standards. You can even put all those practices together to increase the chances of eradicating pests and diseases out of the orchard. Thank you so much for that very practical advice, Tibesho. Now, if we just wrap up the conversation, looking at, you know, just the industry overall, 
If you could just give us a very short breakdown of where we're at in South Africa. I know this is probably a conversation we can have all day, but just in terms of our positioning, what would you say in terms of kind of our goals and where we should be heading as an as as the deciduous food industry within the country? South Africa has got very good reputation across the globe in terms of the quality of our fruit. That's why we are a preferred supplier in many countries. You look at the volumes that we send out, 60% of it is being consumed in UK, a third in EU and the balance in UAE. We are currently developing the Asian market and the activities there are picking up speed very, very well. I think the reputation is there for the quality of our fruit. And the fact that we we always show up in the market, we unlike other regions that we will show up and then not show up, South Africa is consistent in terms of their supply. One thing that I think maybe the South African deciduous fruits industry should focus on is to develop the, the non-traditional areas because there's an opportunity there. I'm referring to, uh, you know, the northern provinces, that is Limpopo, Mpumalanga, Free State. Those areas are left not fully exploited. And I know that there are plans on the side of the industry knowledge body to exploit or rather to take advantage of those areas to be able to develop cultivars that come in earlier than the Western Cape cultivars. I think if the focus was to go there, we will surely be able to service some of the markets that we are trying to open because already we are fully well established in the UK. We are well established in the EU. So to be able to service the Eastern market, Southeast Asian market, we would need to, to take advantage of the Northern provinces, Limpopo, Pumalanga and Free State to be able to to produce those volumes from that point of view. What is going to be much more attractive will be the inclusive approach in terms of transformation to ensure that the industry encourages participation of all people of color into the industry by way of access to land, access to markets, access to funding. And I know that uh, the knowledge body is there, positioned itself to be able to assist those that are taking the first step into entering the deciduous fruit space. As we conclude this insightful conversation with Tibesho Serache, qualified industrial engineer and Limpopo fruit farmer, thank you so much for your insights. They're really valuable into on-farm production level considerations and it's really appreciated. Remember to subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with fellow agriculture enthusiasts. From me, Don Numdu, our technical producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Until next time, happy farming. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food from Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.